Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. I hope you guys have had an amazing Christmas, an amazing new year. It's now 2021, and there's so many opportunities coming up this year to grow your store, develop your business. Things with the virus are starting to settle down. We've got vaccines and everything seems to be heading in the right direction. So I hope wherever you are, you are well. Um, Apologies if we say anything that's a tiny bit out of date. We are recording this early December because we wanted to get this series ready and we didn't want to have to rush things in the new year to record them. But the new series we're starting today, and if you're subscribed to the podcast, you will have heard me talk about this over the last few episodes. We're going to be talking to lots of different Shopify store owners. We're going to be talking about a range of topics from ethical sourcing of products to looking after your customers to developing revenue and growing sales channels. And as we were saying just before we hit the record button, none of those things need to be mutually exclusive. All of those things can happen within one single business. Today's guest, who I'm going to introduce in a moment, convinced me in just a couple of minutes never ever to drink tea again from a tea bag. And we'll come on to that later as to what that means. They also run a Shopify store, which we're going to cover in quite a bit of detail today. And they're also really, really good friends of ours as well. So without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce Henrietta from the Rare Tea Company. Hi, Henrietta. How are you? Hello. Hello, Nick. Very well. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm so excited about today because, as I just said, there's going to be so many things we've never covered on this podcast, but things that are actually quite close to my heart and I'm sure quite close to yours as well. Wonderful. I'm ready. Before we dive in, do you want to just give us a quick overview, Henrietta, to yourself, your business and how you ended up in the position you are in today? Yeah. So I founded Rare Tea Company, which is a speciality tea company. I want to say speciality, but actually it's for everyday ordinary tea drinking, just really delicious and good tea drinking. It is, it is. I started in 2004, so been going a little while. And we we began as an online store. So I think back in 2004, that was quite a, a different landscape and a different world to be in. And I remember the people who set up site for me, um, helped me set up site, were couldn't understand that it would ever work, that then people would go to a website to buy tea which is, yeah, well, extraordinary. And now we are a global business. We have many avenues through the business. It's not just online. We also have retail and it's gone from strength to strength from that small base as a little online store back in 2004. Amazing. And I think, like you said, back at, certainly back in 2004, I won't say how old I was then because I know I'm so tiny bit younger than most in this no, industry. No, you'll hurt my feelings massively. <laughs> so I won't mention that. Um, but I will say certainly back then, I remember there was a web platform called Actinic my friend's dad had founded it and started it. And I remember sitting at McDonald's with him one night and saying, talk to me about this internet then. How's this going to work? And he picked up a sachet of ketchup and he said, one day people will be able to buy any product from this sachet of ketchup to this building we're sitting in right now 
on the internet and I said, you're talking nonsense, mate, never going to happen. And here we are 16 years later um, doing exactly that. So I think certainly your, the, the tea you guys sell, as you say, it's sort of speciality, but it's also every day. What makes it unique? Why is it not just in a bag, as I would expect to get from any normal tea uh, tea producer? So we have USPs that w- work around what good tea means. And that good tea is tea directly from farmers. So that's the first bit. We don't buy tea from brokers or from global players. We buy from tea farmers. And that means that the that part of the revenue, the main part of the revenue goes to that farmer rather than, you know, 20, 30 different uh, players in between. We've traced a tea from the producer to the end user, to the tea drinker, and seen it have between 15 and 30 points of people taking a cut of the of the revenue from it. And tea producers need our support. You can imagine if you were a farmer or producer creating something and then losing all its value along the chain of getting to the consumer's hands be devastating to your business so we go direct we work direct trade with farmers i travel around the world or i used to in the old world (laughs) i used to spend at least six months of the year traveling to visit farmers and work with them and will do next year hopefully exactly so it's got to be good for the farmers it's got to have a good sustainable economic basis it's got to be good for the people who drink it so it's got to taste amazing there's no point selling something uh, high end high value if it's not beautiful. And I once got um, back in the day, at the early days of selling tea, one of the red top British newspapers accused me of selling nice packaging. They were just like, tea's tea. <laughs> Don't know what you're, you, you yeah. know, what's different about yours because tea is tea. And so I went down to King's Cross. And in those days, King's Cross was not the salubrious place it is now. This is before St Pancras was developed. And it was you know, it was a red light district around a main train station. It was very dingy. I, mean, I just remember it being full of diesel fumes from the trains. So you could barely breathe in there. It was, yeah. Good. And around that, in that area, there was a, a very dear customer of mine who had a tattoo shop. And it wasn't the kind of place you went to get a seahorse on your ankle. It was a kind of tattoo parlor where you went to get a full face tattoo or a sleeve or a body tattoo. Sure. And he was really, really into the tea, Fedler Head very famous tattooist. He he allowed me to come down to the shop with the red top journalist and a photographer and make tea for everyone using a generic tea bag and a beautiful English breakfast tea made from tea crafted by a farmer. And not a single person couldn't taste the difference. It's not about, you know, like a sommelier being, you know, having to have a hugely delicate palate or understanding of labels and terroirs. You can taste, anyone can taste, whether you're a, you know, a tattoo artist or a fine chef. It's that obvious. So that was, so it's got to taste really, really beautiful. And lastly, it's got to be good for you. I mean, no pesticides, no industrial chemicals used in it. And when you make a tea bag, unfortunately, to turn a tree into paper, you can't do that without chemicals. And they don't just suddenly vanish by magic. And then there are nanoplastics and all kinds of things, glues and bleaches. Mm. So we sell loose teeth. The bags themselves, when you mentioned the plastic, that was one thing that made me feel slightly uncomfortable when we f- very first spoke. <laughs> we just started a bit of work with you guys and we we're having a conversation about it. And that, that bit just kind of made my heart sink. And I was like, just thinking back to like, I've, I, I drink probably one coffee every morning and at least one cup of tea, if not two or three a day. 
including lemon tea or fruit tea or something. And that, that bit about the plastic, I was like, what? I was just like, oh, this whole time I've been basically injecting plastic into my body. There are tea bags that don't have plastic. There are there are a few, and they're trying to move that way. But it's not just the nanoplastics. It is also the unsustainable use of trees. Just think in your lifetime how many trees have been sacrificed for a single-use uh, bag when you've got a teapot which lasts for generations certainly your whole lifetime and and it's you know usable every day and floods your life with pleasure but also there's all those chemicals in the paper in the cornstarch that's made into plastic it's a kind of soup that we don't really know what it is and we don't need to have any of it sure sure now i had three or four questions to ask you to lead into this bit but you've you've told us all about it which i think is absolutely brilliant because i think one of the next questions i want to ask actually is on this specifically is Running a business can very much become a numbers game sometimes. And it, you get to a point where you have those months or quarters where you're like, we just need to get some more sales in or like, where's all our money gone? Or, you know, I, I've been running businesses for nearly 10 years now and I've had multiple different enterprises. I, I get it. But equally, doing all of that without the passion behind it, you just feel dead, wouldn't you? And I think I'd love to hear a bit more about sort of, you know, where does that passion come from? How do you leverage that? Do you, like the rest of us, do you get days where you wake up and you're like, I just can't be bothered anymore. Or is it just constant? I just want to keep growing this thing. It's, you know, it's going in the right direction, et cetera. Which there's a lot there. Really good yes. question. <laughs> I, if I don't answer it all, do get back to it. But the first thing <laughs> sure. is I had um, a, a life in corporate finance where I had a, you know, a pretty decent career and a very decent salary. And I was working out of New York. I was working for the head office of a big uh, American multinational at the board level. And it was, cool. it was very, it was kind of exciting in the fact that I had, reached a position where you know you I'd been striving to get to at quite a young age but I didn't feel in any way satisfaction in what I was doing because once you've got there you're like well what this is kind of empty what I'm producing is is not useful to mankind in any way at all and the people that I was around were not the most satisfying company and my job was was quite dull and the money didn't give me the satisfaction that I'd hoped it would. And I think that's that's empirically true. It's not just my experience. There's a certain amount of money after which we don't get much satisfaction. Of course, to have you know food on our tables, a safe place to live, to be warm, to you know, those basic things do account for happiness. But after that, there's a sort of satisfaction in doing something useful with your life that I didn't find. And I made a, a rather rash decision to set up a company and do something in a Good. market. <laughs> but it was in a market that didn't exist. So there was no market for loose leaf tea. Sure. Nine, like 90 something percent, of 98% of people were using tea bags. And the idea of loose leaf tea back in 2000 was, you know, a little um, esoteric, which sounds funny now. And there were no online tea companies. Which is also funny now because you all find a plethora out there. And I thought I saw a gap and I thought I saw um, I had a naive enthusiasm that I could create a market in one that didn't exist. And that gave me a huge thrill. But it also gave me uh, a large incentive not to fail because of my bravura. But then as I got more and more into the tea world, I discovered that it was a place of great exploitation and that by doing things differently, I could have an effect on communities around the world by working direct with farmers, by paying um, a decent value for their tea, for buying high value tea, for promoting high value tea. You know, imagine the wine world. If we only drank wine from a cup, from a plastic bladder and we never knew where it came from, you know, it was single origin, just said French. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe sure. it didn't say at all, maybe it just said red wine. 
or white wine. That was my tea world until we spoke. Was like, just has anyone got a a tea bag, regardless yeah. of brand source? It was just I, n- I never thought about it. I was but just like, it used to be back in the day. It used to be when you went into a pub, you just said, you know, give me red wine, and and you know, there is there's no harm in that kind of wine, but there's more to it. There's a whole another world, isn't there? And you know, once you start getting excited about uh, wine and where it comes from, and the producers and how it's grown and what grape varietal, you know, there's a whole world that opens up, and everything you know of wine is true of tea. And if only industrial wine was produced, we'd have acres of unsustainable vines across the world, as opposed to all these wonderful terroirs of wine producers and chateaus and people making extraordinary things that, you know, give great pleasure to people around the world. And the same could be true of tea. But unfortunately, in the old world, in the, well, in the world that still exists, it's all industrial. There's very little value to the farmer, to the community. And in fact, Nick, the majority of people who work in the tea world, whose tea we drink in the UK and across North America, their life expectancy will seldom reach above the 40s. Yeah, I remember you saying that. And that that was it was the plastic and it was the yeah, it was the life expectation. As soon as I heard that from you, I would just my is the same as me watching. I watched the documentary Cowspiracy and I haven't touched beef since I rarely touch anything with milk in. I just cannot justify the industry. I, I'm not I'm not vegan. I do still eat some meats and that sort of thing, but it's often where I know they've come from or it's a meat that's not too bad for me. The environment isn't massively but yeah, just things like that. I think it's the same with this kind of thing. And exactly when you open your eyes to something, but these are these are real people and real communities across the world. They're from across India, Sri Lanka, East Africa, and they live in desperate poverty so that we can have a cheap tea bag. And we don't really gain anything in there. It's when you put that going back to the the tattoo parlor, when you put the industrial black tea, English breakfast tea, beside the one crafted with skill and love to be high value, the difference is astounding and it's just a few pennies different so it's easy to make that change it's not an unaffordable luxury it's just and it's a necessity we have to make a sustainable economic living for these people around the world i just that's a reason to jump out of bed in the morning to change things to change the status quo to get people excited about something that will have such a huge impact we can make the world a little bit better and that helps not just me but that helps my teams that helps all the people we work with to to find an enthusiasm that would also, wouldn't be there. And when it's funny because when people um, come to me and ask me if they can do our PR, I know that they'll never do the job as well as we do because we so believe, all the team who work at Rare Tea so believe in what we do that we're good at talking about it. They absolutely do. And I can vouch for you know the, the few team members that we've worked with have met and that sort of thing. I've been I've actually been keeping them up to date with my tea journey since we last spoke know, about that. And when I've met, I said to one of them the other day, I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I only have one or two cups a day. Just, cause I, you know, the cleaning out of the, you know, it's, it's easy enough to put the teapot and I bought a couple of the diffusers and things now. It's easy enough to put those in the dishwasher or whatever. But, yeah, to wash them out just takes a little bit extra time. And, you know, I'm normally at the office. I'm quite busy. It's not the first priority. And then Chris, who's one of your teams, he sort of said to me, well, you know, you can diffuse it twice. And my jaw dropped. And I was like, what? I can double my load of tea without doubling my load of cleaning? And he was like, absolutely. So but also, I think there's a cost. So yeah, really good handcrafted tea could be infused two, three times. Some of them, like oolongs, can be infused six times. And so now you can... you've said three, you've just tripled my intake of coffee, <laughs> uh, tea every day by, uh, by saying that. So It's also, you're not going to be getting another hit of caffeine. So there is wonderful caffeine in tea, which gives us huge pleasure. But you can keep that caffeine level going in your system by keeping infusing the same leaves. So if you have a lovely green tea, you have the first cup, you come back, you know, an hour later, you want another cup, you put 
using the same leaves, put fresh water on, you get the second infusion. And then you're going to get a little bit more caffeine. It's going to keep you, because you know, you've depleted the caffeine in your bloodstream, you add a little bit more with that second cup and then a third cup. You're gently going down rather than with coffee where you're up and then down, up and then down. I, I, I'll tell you, I was buying espressos at our local cafe on my drive to work recently. It's only a 10 minute drive. And mm. that's why an espresso without a lid was perfect. Yeah. And I'd literally, they'd know what time I turn up after a while. And I'd get to the office absolutely buzzing. But then two o'clock, three o'clock. And some of the, some of the people in my family that I take after, you know, my sort of parents and uncles and aunts, a lot of them have the same thing where three o'clock, they just kind of brain switched off, can only do administrative tasks now. And I'm not quite as bad as that, but certainly drinking tea instead of coffee now has had that effect on me. And I think definitely it's just just bringing this back to Shopify for a second and, and sort of the business. I think having that kind of impact on customers is just second to none. The next question I've got on my list on that as well that I think is really key, and we're, we're kind of heading into this conversation anyway, is around community and creating a, mm. a, a community of customers or customer community. Do you want to talk to us a little bit around how involved your customers are, some of the emails you get? And just for anybody who's listening, I haven't teed up any of these questions necessarily. So, you know, they, it'd be interesting just to hear, you know, what, what sort of things do you get from customers in your reviews and emails you get sent? That's, you know, are your customers, do they feel like they're part of a close-knit community that's changing the world? Is it is it as clear as that to them? Well, that's what's wonderful about a website. As one as great as traditional retail is, there's, and we have beautiful packaging. You know, you look at our tins of tea and you're like, wow, they're some they're there's something we've spent a lot of time and money and thought into making as beautiful as they can. But I can't tell the full story on a, on a tin. Whereas when you're on the Shopify site, you can really go through, you can find out, you can you can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And you'd be amazed looking at the stats on the website, how much time people spend there looking to see if, if you know it's all mouth and no trousers or there really is something good about this stuff what is our approach to organic and sustainable farming what is our approach to sustainable economic benefits for our farmers what is our approach to the sustainable community and they the more you find out the more invested you are and people people get really i was going to say involved in the brand but it's more than that. They, there's a tea community out there. There's people who are obsessed with tea and they, they speak with one another. And the lovely thing is that they will, when they find something they truly believe in, they will promote it. So they will talk about it within their community. They will put it on their social media. And it's in a, it's in a wonderful way. We don't use social media influencers because our community is the social media influencers and they will post about things they believe in. If it tastes amazing, they want to post about it. If it has an impact on a tea community, they want to talk about it. And we've done, we have a campaign called Tea Change where we try to, to change that status quo where you have seven big multinationals controlling 90% of the tea. And, and not supporting communities. So we talk about that. We talk about directly working with communities. And we just did a pre-harvest just recently because we were quite heavily um, reliant on the hospitality industry. So we have online retail and we work directly with hospitality. Sure. So cafes that are selling your tea and that sort of thing. Restaurants, hotels, you know, yeah. and, and some very prestigious ones from Claridge's in London to Nomo in Copenhagen, you know, all of Gordon mm -hmm. Ramsay's restaurants. People, basically people know. They would supply a lot of biological tea and that was a hugely important route to market for our farmers. And with that being closed around the world, it was problematic. We couldn't buy as much tea because we didn't have enough customers. But we needed to, but we needed to keep supporting our farmers who needed to get their crops sold at the right time and so there was a farm there's a small farm in Nepal we thought we'd give a, 
a try to a new method where we would ask our customers with us to buy the harvest upfront as they were making it so that they could make just as much as they sold and that they could get the money right there. We would have the money to pay for it. And so all together as a tea community, we bought a harvest from a Nepal farm, which is wow, nice, really beautiful. Because normally what we do is we would buy that harvest up front and then sell it throughout the year. But we just didn't have the cash to do that in this instance. So together we did. The feeling of being part of something, the feeling of doing something that directly supports a real farm, real people, you know, some of the most delicious tea in the world, saving that community, that skill was just felt so great at the end of it you get an amazing tea that you can share with everyone for christmas and sure sure and what a story i mean some presents it's like oh i found that on amazon's recommended versus this we helped save a community and this has come from wherever here's a video you know yeah again in terms of in terms of what comes with the product and the brand awareness so many businesses um that we've worked with over the years we're all sitting in a dark room, scratching our heads, going, what's another USP we could bleed out of this brand logo? Or yes. you know, what you're talking about. Like, I'm just sort of, I'm almost taking notes now because we work with you going, ah, oh, we need to do this. We need to do but I think that just, it just shows it's such a good concept, isn't it? It's built based on the right thing. And I think as well, going back to what I was saying about the community aspect, clearly the community here is not just I've bought a product. So you want to try and lure me into your community to sell, sell, sell to me. We're talking community here. We're talking about your customers, the tea loving industry as a whole, and those kind of networks and groups of people, plus this community now out in Nepal that have had this phenomenal, very charitable, but also, I guess it's not charity in a sense, is it? It's just ethical business. Exactly. You didn't just give them some money. You bought their product. You enjoyed their product. It's ethical business, I would, I would say. And it's you know, it's beyond that. It's just good tea for a good price and if we were talking about olive oil or cheese or wine we wouldn't call it ethical we'd just say well of course high value things have a better price and they enrich the community more you know you'd much rather work for a vineyard a beautiful vineyard I don't know I'm just trying to think of one off the top of my head Chateau Lafitte or something than you would work for driving a tractor in an industrial vineyard which is just you know there's no skill no jobs no labor just you know spray the grapes with insecticide at one point in the year and herbicide at another point and then that's it they're being part of something where you're crafting something really beautiful um should have value we know it does in all over the world we just forgot about it in tea for a while because i, I could go and bore you to death with the history of how the second world war broke down trade <laughs> and we got used to through rationing we got used to drinking soldiers tea i've actually read up on some of it so yeah but I, for any of our listeners i do recommend going and going and reading about it because did you read my book no i haven't read your book apologies which is really embarrassing to say that you're currently on the podcast but one thing i did do though that i was going to say which leads me onto a, a question about content in a minute is i've uh, i finished the English breakfast tea that you sent me but I'm halfway through the Himalayan black which is absolutely delicious and I know it's super rare that's from the, that's from the farm the farm we were just talking about in Nepal Jinjia Berry yep oh, is it so what, okay so I'm okay that's amazing so I didn't realize I was I knew it's from Nepal but I, I was going to ask you know is it is it related to this yes but certainly that tea I so I then finished the English breakfast and thought do you know what I do like milk in my tea I'll go on the site um, and I'll see if on your website I can just check if I'm allowed to have milk with the Himalayan black tea or if it's because it says black. So I just want to check, is it specifically? And they've got on the site and about an hour later, 
remembered what my question was after digging around. And this is not in a bad way, a good way. I was learning stuff all over the site. I was watching videos and I was kind of going, right, I've been doing that wrong. I've been doing that wrong. Changed a few things. And I now have the strongest, most delicious cup of tea I think I've ever had, which is Himalayan black with a tiny bit of oat milk just to take the, the sort of black edge off. And it tastes absolutely delicious. You might tell me I shouldn't be using milk in it, but I think... That's the, let's, let's get rid of all the snobbery about it. Like there are some things that you can do to change how, you get, how your tea will come out. And it's knowing those little skills is wonderful, but how you like it is how you like it. And so you can have it whatever way you want. So I think if people say, oh, you should never have milk in your tea or you should always do it at this temperature or that temperature. A dentist wouldn't say that. I can confirm <laughs> that a dentist would definitely want to have milk in your tea. Or just, you know, if you want to have, if you ever want to stay in your teeth, don't drink black tea, drink white tea. And um, but you know, but there's so many ways to enjoy it, and you should enjoy it the way you like it. And you will find as you delve into the world of tea, there are some snobs out there who are very purist about how things should be done. And I just want to give people the skills to do it how they want to have it done. Sure, and I think that's really important. And certainly, my question, which relates to all of this, is around. And I guess this might be a challenge for some of your team as much as yourself. But what are some of the things you guys have done then to take everything we've spoken about so far? And this really is a challenge. Chuck it on a web page. Because certainly when you look at Shopify, you've got the home page, you can build pages on it. And then you've got products and you've got collections. What are some of the things you guys have gone through then to bring this message forward? And I'll, I'll add a little bit of extra context to this as well, which might help with your answer, I think, as well. Certain, certain challenges we come up against, and as you know, we, we do a lot of SEO work. Content is king in SEO, and everybody talks about that sort of thing. The way we approach it is we always sort of say, well, okay, SEO is important, and we need to be number one on Google. And to do that, we need content, but we need good content. We can't just write stuff. We need things that are going to make the difference between somebody just glancing at this page and then bouncing off the website and really engaging, really starting to understand, you know, what what is it about this product that I want to buy? What is it about this brand? That And certainly you guys have enormous product pages, but they're not boring. It's not waffle. It's like this tea's come from here. This tea is this. Here's how to um, infuse it. Here's the sort of kit you might need if it's your first one. If you just need a refill, tell us because then we won't send the tins out. You just get the refill. All that sort of stuff, I think, is really key. But what are some of the things you guys have done and some of the challenges you've faced in trying to get so much onto a set of web pages that's organized, quick for the user? Or is it something you guys are still kind of you know exploring that and developing that? These are brilliant questions, but I have been looking at this and playing with it since 2004. So sure. some, some experience, but the, but the way things have changed online has been so fast that I think you have to let go of old ideas. I think that's really important. And listen, so I have, you know, amazing guy, James, who helps develop our website, who does, and I have to listen to him and say, well, you know, just because we did something once in the past that didn't work doesn't mean it won't work now because the world is constantly evolving. And so I think, you know, it's not just about learning from what you've done before, but embracing change. The other thing is is to have uh, have an authority. I always think about our website as like a shop window, and I don't want it to be dusty. I don't want it to be shoddy, and I really want it to be informative. And I think have that authority be the safe pair of hands that people will trust. You have to know every single word on there is truthful and real, and not just there to create SEO content. So you know, if we do want to build keywords then i will try very hard to build that into the content of the of the site but i will never put a keyword up there that doesn't fit with what we're talking about you know it's having that discernment of being something that people can trust you and and being absolutely authentic and authoritative in what you're talking about and and not just being just chatty and 
there's a very fine line between not being snobby and talk down to your customer, but but, but not to just dumb down your site. Sure. And I guess the challenge you've got as well is you've got people like me, where a few months ago, I had heard of loose leaf tea, and I could probably guess what it is by the name, but was not, you know, if I landed on your site, your site needs to be able to tell me, me of before, the old me, we'll call it the old me. Um, so your site needs to tell the old me how this all works, what it is, why I should be interested, and even things like what the price means. Because in my head, if I've only drunk tea bags from the supermarket or the superstore, all I've done is I've walked in and gone, well, those are two pounds, I'll buy those. They were, well, that's slightly, that's slightly stronger. I probably won't notice the difference, but it makes me feel better. It's some good branding, I'll buy that. To then convince me that, you know, this is a better way of life, that et cetera, right the way then down to me in maybe five years from today, where I've explored loads of different teas and I've tried ordering different things. I've tried infusing in different ways, different levels of milks, all that sort of stuff. You see, you've got to get the balance right, don't you, between being, as you say, sort of dumbing it down enough that it's like, we sell loose leaf tea to then being as advanced as somebody who's looking for this specific Himalayan batch that we just mentioned. And isn't so wonderful the way websites are developed that you can just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in. And I think you're right, it's having the most important information at the beginning. And we did did recently break it down cup by cup and say, look, this is what it's going to cost you a cup. Because it is only just pence. And when you think about what you spend, what we used to spend in our old life, old Nick would spend on his espresso in from the high street store. You know, he was willing to spend quite a lot of money for that one experience. Or what you'd spend it was on about a- £1.50 a day, I think I was spending on that, that single espresso. And every 10 days I'd get a free one. You know, it was that, that sort of thing. And when you're thinking, so £1.50 for that espresso, where it could be 15p for a cup of tea. I mean, and the most you're going to be spending is... Or three is, cups, you know, yeah. as you say, like, infusing it several times. Or it could be 70p, but even then for a really, really high-end tea, it might be 70p if you infuse it once and 35p if you infuse it twice. And so you think, well, this is something I really could, even if I don't drink it every day, this is something that on Saturday morning might be something that is really worthwhile my, my spend. But it's interesting because going back to what we were talking about before, Back in about 2005, I'd put that on, but it was too early and people were horrified that a cup of tea would cost them 30p. You know, they're like, <laughs> I can get a tea bag for tuppence. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas now people are like, oh, yeah, but I would spend, you know, um, maybe six pounds on a glass of wine in a wine bar. And so while I'm at home and I'm not drinking and I'm sitting at home, I might, I might, I might pen 60p on a, on a cup of tea. Why not? Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, we haven't got that access to, to that many luxuries in this, in this world at the moment. You know, having to be stuck at home and we, we've become more conscious. And the lovely thing is that we're, when our pounds are valuable to us, you know, it, it is going to be a little frightening, the economic situation. And we're, we're in it now and it's not going to get easier. Every time we spend money, we are consciously thinking, is this useful to me? Is this useful to the world? People are becoming much more conscious consumers. We're not just going out and spending willy-nilly. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favourite expressions, by the way. We're, we're thinking, <laughs> um, and, and so when you're drinking a cup of tea, you're thinking, well, this is not this is doing good for a farmer. This is doing good for me. And actually, it goes a little bit further than that. We return a percentage of our revenue, not profit, but revenue. So it's very clean back to the communities to support tertiary education scholarships. That's a, the third pillar of sustainability: economic environmental and social like how do we really support the communities beyond just the trade and so we we support scholarships for university and for school and that's been that's been a, a really wonderful part of what we do too it's another reason to jump out of bed in the morning but it's also another reason to feel good about your purchase and you know and there's there's a huge value in that 
when we when you look empirically at whether you feel better giving or receiving the the data comes out that you actually get a better feeling from from giving and so if we combine those two things together when you're giving and receiving so you're drinking a great cup of tea and you know that it's doing something good in the world you get the benefit of both there was a really interesting thing i was listening to the other day about it's a, a psychological experiment where they give people brand and people um, a certain amount of money to, to give away or to go and spend and so you say you're given uh, 50 quid to go and spend on yourself or to give away to five different people or 500 pounds it didn't seem to matter too much what the value of the money was so you go and let's just say it's 500 you go uh, initially you think god if someone gave me 500 pounds i've just got to go and spend it right now what a lovely thing <laughs> yeah, as opposed yeah. to here's 500 pounds go and give it to five different individuals and then they measured the satisfaction levels of people afterwards they talked to them and they asked them how they felt about it. The people who'd given away the £500 had a hugely better outcome. Because I imagine if you spent it, you've now just accumulated some more stuff. And I think certainly, you know, and I'll, I'll speak really openly as well about a lot of the listeners we've got on this, or certainly the ones that we, we get coming through as, uh, you know, inquiries to, to just ask Parker, quite a lot of them are like drop shippers and things. And it's, it's just a numbers game. And I sort of look at a lot of these things thinking, I mean, so, some of them are pretty good. And you, drop shipping doesn't always mean it's sort of, you know, cheap and just come out of a factory somewhere and shipped to the customer, you know, for the sake of some more plastic or wood or whatever the, the materials are. But th- there is part of me that looks at a lot of those thinking like, this is just stuff. It's just stuff for the sake of stuff or, you know, stuff for the sake of money to the store owner. However, when, and again, people have been listening for quite a while since, since I took over the podcast in June, probably noticed a lot of the store owners I've had on have not been store owners that are like, yeah, we're making tons and tons of money. A lot of them, which is what, because I think it's the best approach and I can, I can actually prove it with numbers as well in terms of revenue they get. It's about sustainability. You know, somebody we had on last summer was talking about the um, quality of products and the fact that they, he doesn't have to do any email marketing anymore to get the second or third or fourth order, his average lifetime value of customer is incredibly high because the products are really, really good. And the products were invented. Um, they, they sell unbound merino wool. They're called unbound merino. Um, and the products were invented because he was sitting on a plane and he was looking at a guy in the row in front of him and overheard a conversation that the guy in front was basically saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going traveling and all I've got is this rucksack I've got under my seat on the flight. I don't have this enormous suitcase. And the guy, James was his name, is sitting behind sort of thinking like, what? Why am I carrying this enormous suitcase around to go traveling for six months? I thought I didn't have enough stuff and then found out merino wool means, you know, you can wear it for two or three weeks before it needs a wash because it doesn't soak up a lot of the things that traditional clothes do and all this kind of stuff and then started the business. And But again, he said he doesn't do any email marketing or does very, very little because he doesn't need to. People just keep coming back and buying it. It almost gets to a point of people saying, I can't wait for my next t-shirt to be ready to chuck in the recycling to then buy another Merino one because they're just so comfy. They're good quality. They're, I don't know if theirs are, but I, I buy quite a lot of clothes from companies now that guarantee them for life, which started as me sort of saying, well, it's one t-shirt I'll need forever. You know, they'll replace it if not. But then equally, I started reading up about those brands I was shopping from. And they're all made from recycled plastics and things. And I just thought, well, this is great. You know, this, this is great. This is real sustainability. Yeah. And they've never emailed me, but I must have spent £2,000 with one of them now, you know, just buying <laughs> clothes. And not just for me, I buy them as presents because they come with a little label saying guaranteed for life. This is made from recycled plastics. You know, go and register your guarantee online now. So people are coming back to their website to register a guarantee as opposed to coming back because they've got a 20% off discount code or something. And isn't it amazing when you wake up to something? I've got I've just found out about shoes. When you wake up about, oh God, this is this is having a positive or a negative effect on the environment. Or, yeah, yeah. You, it feels so good. You're like, oh, 
I'm doing something useful here. I've never even <laughs> realized I could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, no, we find that the barrier is never the, the, the sale afterwards. It's the getting people to try for the first time because with, um, with tea, we're a little bit behind the world of coffee. Like it's not difficult for people to think, oh, well, you know, once upon a time I used to drink instant coffee or my mum drinks instant coffee, but you know, I have a coffee grinder. I grind my beans. I, yeah, you know, I have a coffee too. machine, or you know, or I do a pour over. But like, you know, and especially if someone came around, I wouldn't, I wouldn't offer them, you know, after dinner an instant coffee, or you know, I'd have my my beautiful coffee beans and my. My, my fiance does sometimes, and I'm like, step aside. We're better than this. <laughs> yeah. Let me brew something from scratch. You know, like, I'll go and get the beans out the garden from our coffee plants. You know, yeah, almost. Thing. Yeah, because <laughs> I think that you know, the tea was still a bit like, oh well, we just get the bag of tea bags like from bag. the cupboard. cupboard, cupboard. Yeah. But so, but once you have tried something that is is beautiful and. Just in the same vein, it's just a simple English breakfast. It doesn't have to be you going into oolongs or green teas, but just something that's crafted for flavour rather than industrially to be high volume and low price. You're like, oh, okay, this this makes perfect sense, and it's delicious. It's just that first step, and you know, this is something we I've been working in since 2004. And you know, the amazing thing is that we sell a lot in the USA, and the USA it's easier because they haven't got that emotional attachment to the bag. You know, they've drunk less tea traditionally. They've drunk a lot of iced tea. It wasn't really something that they had a big part of their life. You know, it's one of the reasons why Americans don't have electric kettles. It's because mm. they don't need to, need to make hot water very often. Well, that's really changing now. And all the great technology and, and temperature control kettles is coming out of America because people have got it. They've got it for coffee. And they're like, oh, they turn their attention to tea. Yeah, yeah. And they'll go straight for the good stuff. Whereas um, British people, because of the rationing in the war, our grannies or great grannies, whatever your age is, they had to make do with industrial tea because it was a war on and you didn't make a fuss. And that became some part of the British psyche. And it was almost a sort of betrayal of the community that the Second World War produced, where we all had the same thing. It didn't matter if you were a duchess or a, or a coal miner, you know, everyone had the same thing, the same meat ration, the same tea ration. And it was some kind of wonderful community that we, we, we enjoyed. We, the snobbery was gone. And now people talk about good tea as snobbish tea. They're like, Really, really, the who? What's the what's the class betrayal here? The class betrayal is your brothers and sisters in Africa who are getting who are dying young, so you can have a cheap tea bag. You know, there's no war on, and good tea is just good. It just tastes good. Sure. It's good for people. So it's just getting over that that emotional attachment that came from rationing. Sure. And there's one more thing I want to touch on at the end of this, which you've kind of just touched on it a second ago. And we, you know, we've spoken about content and how the business got started, but. You've just mentioned about getting that first order in, you know, kind of convincing people to, I won't say make the change, but give it a try. You know, that first, I'm going to give this a go sort of thing and just see how I get on. What are some of the sales channels that you guys use? Because a lot of people are listening to this thinking, this sounds amazing, but I'm sitting here trying to optimize for SEO. I'm trying to get every, you know, squeeze every pound of revenue I can out of PPC on Google, which all essential parts of running a business. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. We're not saying don't do any of those things, but what are some of the essential channels for you or some of the channels that you've sort of said, well, you know, you've mentioned about retail, you've mentioned about some of the wholesale to the hospitality industry, and then also the specific channels that drive traffic to website. What, what are some of the most important ones to Rare Tea Company? Well, thank God for the website, because in this in this world, it's been, you know, you know hugely important thing that's kept us alive, kept us going. But it, it Social media has been very, very useful. We have a way of talking to people and for them to share things. And that's the wonderful stuff. It's like when you, when social media, they can share with a wider community. And thank God, because of our, our direct crypto business, part of our business, the, 
the hospitality, we had people who worked on that and they have now switched their attention onto talking to people directly, consumers, through social media. And it's been amazing how wonderful those guys have been and how well they have managed to adapt and how that engagement can grow very, very quickly. If you look at our, um, our Instagram, it's grown with the amount of attention we put into it. So those people just pivoting their jobs into talking directly and putting all the same effort they would into talking to hospitality clients as in talking directly to consumers has been really extraordinary. Not to overlook any area. Like I don't use all the social media. So Twitter's not my, my favorite thing. I think Twitter's dying anyway. Is it? Is it <laughs> is. What we, but then there are people who do. There are journalists, for instance, who do look at the Twitter yeah, sphere. Politicians and, yeah. and your journalists can be useful. So if they're aware of something we do through Twitter, so we don't, even though we may not spend a lot of time enjoying it as consumers, hmm. we might use it as a sales channel. And I gave up Facebook a decade ago, but we still use Facebook. And, and there are those people who still, who still like to find their news and socialize on there. You know, but we really have found Instagram has been the most effective Sure. No, I mean, that's really good to hear. Because one of the reasons I like it as well is, like I said earlier, this isn't just, and as I always say to a lot of businesses, this isn't just kind of making money pound for pound. There's an element of that, you know, the accounts still need to be done, your finances need to be in order. Nick, I think, I, I think it's when I first started, it was often, I was often called a Pollyanna and, and men would often say to me oh well that's very sweet darling and you know I'm glad you've got your little lifestyle brand going on but life it's not, has changed now yeah it's not but it's <laughs> yeah. not scalable there was always the, the idea that like, if you have some kind of ethical part of your business it's not scalable and that is so wrong and if I'm going to change the status quo if I'm going to show that things can be done differently in the tea world I have to be successful it has to be economically viable and successful and also you know I need to employ more people and buy more tea and this is a growth business and I'm not in this just to look good. I need it to work and I need it to be a great model, a scalable, good model, sure. not just for the tea business, for any business. And I, I, I'd like to stand up at Davos and explain why having an ethical part to your business is a successful business model. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, and I, I completely hear that. And I think one of the things that I think sounds so exciting, actually, and certainly I think to a lot of our listeners is that you've, you've managed to create such a community on Instagram. And actually doing, because a lot of people talk about that. And then, again, we see so many stores that are just kind of gone, yeah, fine, I'll sell that. We've had some really interesting stores recently, actually, that sell normal products that have a ethical or eco-friendly element to them. So it might be one, for example, was selling phone cases that are compostable. Yeah, and they don't compost randomly in your pocket one day. You, it's only <laughs> when you put them on the compost or I think when they get wet for an extended period of time. But until then, they're a normal phone case. And Wonderful. We've had quite a few products like that popping along. And those are the ones that people just love. Just by saying a compostable phone case, instantly people are like, oh, that's a great idea. I could have a new phone case every three or four months and throwing them away. I'm not just chucking plastic in the bin or the recycling at the end of the day. I'm I can get, actually get rid of it in a good way that's now going to feed my plants, you know, in the garden, that sort of thing. And how wonderful is this world now where your consumers are your best uh, salespeople? And how lovely is that, that you can build a community of people who will then feel good about promoting your product if it's something worth promoting. And then that saves you a huge amount of advertising spend. Most of the tea companies in the world are owned by very, very big businesses. Like there are, there are seven businesses that own 90% of the tea that's consumed in the in the in Europe and North America. So we've got huge, huge advertising budgets to to try and come up against. You know, like there's not many businesses that sit as your direct consumer would be Unilever. 
it's a pretty big competition but all they can do is employ expensive actors and glove puppets they haven't got anything really to talk about there's nothing underneath the bonnet and so no one's going to get behind them in the same way and that's so we can stand up right beside them and have a voice which is it's a you know wonderful benefit and i think the way the world is now as well if you're a bad business or you're not trading ethically or there's something wrong you only need to turn the news on every couple of days just to see the amount of stories that hit the headline. You can't hide anymore in the shadows like businesses used to. Like the world is too interconnected. Information moves too quickly. And people really look. Like look at your website. You see, look at the hours they spend and where they spend it. Yeah, yeah. And they look at your reviews and your social media. And, yeah. I mean, that, that's one reason we tell a lot of people not to use Twitter if they're not going to use it properly or they don't think they're going to grow on there is the danger is one of your customers looks at it and goes, you've only got 50 followers on Twitter. Like, <laughs> yeah. can, I, can I trust this business? Do you, are you even big or are you some, some person in their garage who's going to rip me off and disappear next week? And, you know, should I spend a thousand pounds on this product or a thousand dollars? But then that's another lovely thing as well that uh, my parents' generation used to trust only big brands. Yeah, there, was a, sure. there was a feeling that if it wasn't a big brand, it wasn't trustworthy. Whereas I think younger people now, and certainly from your generation, my generation, we'd rather see if it's a small little independent brand that we can support. So there's not that need to be, I remember when I began, I used to say, we at Rare Tea Company, when it was just me at my kitchen table. And I used to try and feel like I, you know, sort of puff my chest out and try and sound bigger. I, I did that when I was freelancing. I tried to pretend to be a big business, you know, yeah. you've got tons of staff, you know, <laughs> tons of them. There's the hamster, the cat, you know. Yeah. And actually what it comes down to is people really love the fact that you're, you know, you're the small guy and they can support mm. you and you don't have and they can reach you directly as well like yeah maybe not on the phone but you're not I mean certainly you yourself I, I follow you on Instagram and you I feel I feel connected I feel like you're not a million miles away you know even if we didn't know each other I could still I feel like I would still have some sort of connection to you so buying from Rare Tea Company I'd feel like I know who the founder is I know what they're about I can buy into that whereas you know if I was just looking for say a, a, I don't know a cable for my iPhone to charge it how many stores are there out there what, what have they got above everybody else? You know, some of them are doing a really good job saying this is guaranteed for life. This, this cable you can chuck on your fire and it won't burn and will still be fine. They will, you know, the good ones have got USPs and the ones that don't, they will just disappear quickly. They are so untrustworthy. Doesn't this give you massive hope that the world's going to become a better place? Because consumers are so much more conscious and the best way to build your brand is to to build something good into it. And it could be that you you sell something that doesn't intrinsically have anything good about it, but then you could take a percentage of your revenue or your profit and put it into something that you really, really believed in. You know, there's so many ways that you can build something good into your business that it doesn't have to be the way I've done it. You know, that's that's the excitement of finding the thing that you are going to get excited about that's going to get you, you know, jumping out of bed in the morning and thinking, God, I'm not just creating revenue. I'm creating meaning for the people who are involved in my business, meaning for my consumers and, you know, ultimately making the world, you know, even if it's a tiny, tiny bit better. It's a better place. I mean, we only, with our students, we have 15 university scholars and full scholarship from, from marginalised communities who wouldn't have had access at all to any secondary education. That's only 15 university scholars. That's not changing the whole of Malawi where they are, but that is changing a community and changing a life. And that feels like something really powerful and positive. And we've just managed to get an uh, external um, grant for another 15 girls from very marginalised places to go to boarding school. They wouldn't have been able to go to secondary school at all because they were too far away. And so they've managed to get full scholarships to boarding school for for the whole of their schooling. And that security, that knowledge means they won't get into early marriage. They won't get into early pregnancy. They won't be sold for their dowries. All those 
things that that's going to really give hope and sustainable change to their community because they go on to, to do amazing things. And I just think, why wouldn't you just, t- even if it was just one person, even if you took one little tiny element of your local community or your or the wider global community, your business could do something to help that. Definitely. And I think businesses are certainly changing. But I think, as you say, it's sometimes it's sort of starting small and then going, oh, this has been great, actually. Let's do a few more of them and sort of grow from there. And, you know, we, we support a few different charities. And one is actually based in Malawi called Hope for Malawi. The Hope Foundation, yes. Yeah, exactly. So I'd happily shout them out at any point. The founders live about one, one and a half miles from my front door and I've known them for years. So, yeah, we support them at Spec. But um, look, I've just, I've just suddenly seen the clock, Henrietta. So we're going to have to draw things to a close shortly. But I think what I'd love to do just before we finish and for the benefit of everybody listening, what's the best way people can find out more about you guys, hear more about your story, follow you? What are the best channels to find you on? And you know, what are the various handles? Okay, wonderful. Thank you. So it's rareteacompany.com. So that's easy to find us on as our, our website. The social media is Rare Tea Company and my personal one is Rare Tea Lady. I saw that in your email signature as well, that it was Rare Tea Lady. And I was like, oh yeah, that must be your Instagram handle and checked like there it is, which I think is brilliant. So, um, and I, and yeah. I think it's, it's a nice to be able to have those two things. So Rare Tea Company is able to have one voice. And I, and I do think the voice is really, really important on social media. You need to have a unique voice. But then I can have a little bit more reverent and, and I don't have to be so conscious of making a sale with every, you know, or using my, my um, Instagram to, to be a revenue channel. Mine could be more of an information channel. Sure. And I think that's brilliant. So if anyone's listening to this and you're thinking, right, we need to be more ethical. I want to see what, you know, what the guys at Rare Tea Company are doing. Feel free to check them out on those channels. I can certainly endorse them as, as, as I've said. Oh, I forgot. Rare Charity. That's the independent business. Oh, yes, So we set it up completely separately for Rare Tea. So we have the Rare Charity and that's rarecharity.com to see what we do with that. Nice. I will certainly be checking that out this afternoon. But um, once again, thank you so much, Henriette. It's Thanks, been great Nick. to have you on the show today. Pleasure. Um, for anybody else listening, as I mentioned, this is the first part of a small series we're running. Since I took over the podcast in June, I've been trying to run mini series. We've had one on SEO. We've had one uh, with Bright Pearl talking about how the world's changed since COVID came along. We've done one on PPC as well. We've had a couple of interesting episodes over Christmas. And then here we are today. So we're going to have at least two, maybe three more of these heading through January. So make sure you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. We'll be posting probably every Friday um, or as close to Friday as we possibly can. And um, I hope you're well and we'll be back again next week. So thank you very much. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.